0: Now Jehurom had been in Ramoth Gilead with the whole Israelite army, guarding against an invasion by King Haziel of Syria. But King Jehurom had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds he received from the Syrians when he fought against King Haziel of Syria. Jehu told his supporters, If you really want me to be king, then don't let anyone escape from the city and go and warn Jezreel. Jehu drove his chariot to Jezreel, For Jehoram was recuperating there. Now King Ahaziah of Judah had come down to visit Jehoram. Notice that the narrator mentions three times that Jehoram is not with his men. Three times it's mentioned that he's not with his men, just in that little paragraph. Not to mention the two other times before that, that it's been mentioned. So Jehu's driving his chariot towards Jezreel. Now the watchman was standing on the tower of Jezreel and saw Jehu's troops approaching he said, I see the troops Jehu ordered. Send a rider out to meet them and have him ask, Is everything all right? So the horseman went out to meet him and said, This is what the king says. Is everything all right? Jehu replied, None of your business. Follow me. Now, other translations might say, You're either with me or you're not. Basically, he's writing down, and the guy's like, Is everything okay or do you come in peace? Like, if you're barreling down on the palace really fast, then wow, you must have had an amazing victory against Hezio, and you're so excited that you want to come and tell us personally because we did not expect you back this soon. So is this great? And Jehu's like, you're either with me or you're not. At that moment, that guy's like, oh, that's not good. The army who is used to killing people Versus a king sitting on his piazza. I'm going to take this side with the army. And so he falls in. He sent a second horseman out to them. And he said, this is what the king says. Is everything all right? Do you come in peace? Jehu replied, you're either with me or you're not. Follow me. And the watchman reported. He reached them. He hasn't started back. And the one who drives, he leads his chariots like Jehu's son Nimshi. He drives like a madman. So the watchman is looking out and he says, the second guy isn't coming back either. And Jehu's not slowing down. And oh, by the way, the one who's leading it is driving his chariot like a madman. The narrator is intentionally tying the actions of Jehu to the prophet. Now this is very interesting because every time Jehu kills somebody, he's going to quote the prophecy. But the narrator is not saying, and here comes Jehu, the anointed one of Yahweh. He says, here comes the madman. Meaning, here comes Jehu of the madman prophet. Meaning, Jehu is more in alignment with what the prophet said than what what Yahweh wants him to do. If it was about him doing what Yahweh wanted, it would be saying, here comes Jehu, the one anointed by Yahweh. But instead, it's Jehu the madman which means his actions are more in alignment with the son of the prophet's desire for vengeance than they are in with Yahweh's will to bring judgment and righteousness into the land. And that's the narrator already telling you before Jehu has done anything, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Verse 21. Jehoram ordered, Hitch up my chariot. And when his chariot had been hitched up, King Jehoram of Israel and King Ahaziah of Judah went out in their respective chariots to meet Jehu, and they met up with him in the plot of land that had once belonged to Naboth of Jezreel. Now, this is the land that he's going to die in, the very land that Ahab killed Naboth and seized it so he could take it for his descendants. And now one of his descendants is going to die in the field of Naboth, like Naboth died in his own field. Now, even though this is not God's will, for Jehu to be the one doing this, it does not mean that God does not want to use the circumstances for his own irony. Remember, Joseph said, What you intended for evil, meaning God did not back your desire to hurt me and kill me, God used for good. Mean that even the evil intentions of people, God is going to use to accomplish his own will and his desires. So that's very important for you to understand that even though Jehu's actions are not what God wants, it doesn't mean that God has lost control of this situation. His prophecy will still be fulfilled. He just preferred it not to have been one of his own chosen people to get his hands bloody. There are other ways that God could have fulfilled this. Jehoram is thinking, I'm king. This is only has to be good. He never occurs to him in his mind that something bad could happen to him. And it never does with politically powerful people. Verse 22, when Jehoram saw Jehu, he asked, Is everything all right or is it you come in peace? He replied, How can everything be all right as long as your mother Jezebel promotes idolatry and pagan practices? Jehoram turned his chariot around and took off. And he said to Haziah, It's a trap, Ahaziah. And Jehu aimed his bow and shot an arrow right between Jehoram's shoulders. The arrow went through him and his heart, and he fell to his knees in the chariot. Now this is not battle. This is not dying in battle. This is outright murder. He just shot a defenseless man in the back. Jehu ordered his officer, Bidkar, pick him up, and throw him in the part of the field that once belonged to Naboth of Jezreel. Remember, you and I were riding together behind his father Ahab when Yahweh announced this judgment on him. Know for sure that I saw the shed blood of Naboth and his sons yesterday, says Yahweh, and that I will give you what you deserve right here in this plot of land, says Yahweh. So pick him up and throw him into this plot of land, just as Yahweh said. Now, what's interesting is Jehu actually witnessed this. All those years ago, Jehu must have been a soldier in the army of Ahab, and he was there when all this stuff was happening. God came and sent a prophet to Ahab and said, you're going to die, your entire family, all the males are going to be wiped out. And Jehu was somewhere in the army, maybe a lower-ranking officer, or maybe just a soldier standing next to his pal, Bidkar, and they're overhearing this all. And now years later he's in this. Jehu's putting it all together. He's thinking if I was there to hear the original prophecy, and now years later I've been promoted, and the prophet's come to me and told me to do this, and he's given me commands. He's just thinking all the puzzles of the piece all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. But he's putting pieces in that don't belong there. Because one, the prophet put a couple pieces in that did not belong together for him, and two, He's saying things that the prophet never said. Because we can go back earlier in Kings when Elijah prophesied this against Ahab, and he doesn't say anything about the descendants being thrown into the field of the the, the, the Naboth and all that kind of stuff. So everybody's just kind of like interpreting how they ever want. And remember, our memory to directly quote people is never ever really good, especially when you have years going by. And you probably don't even know the importance of it all that time ago. And so he's just, everybody's just piecing prophecies together on everything. Verse 27, when King Ahaziah of Judah saw what happened, he took off up the road to Beth-hagion. Jehu chased him and ordered shoot him too. And they shot him when he was driving his chariot up the ascent of Ger near Iblium. He fled to Megiddo and he died there. And his servants took his body back to Jerusalem and buried him in the tomb with his ancestors in the city of David. Ahaziah had become king over Judah in the 11th year of Jehoram, son of Ahaziah. So now he's killed the king of Judah as well. And nowhere did Yahweh ever say that about the kings of Judah. And nowhere did the prophet, the junior prophet, ever say that too. So now they're all extending themselves. And it's now become take God's prophecy and choose your own adventure with it. I know that we don't usually have prophets coming up to us and saying things to us very often. And I also know that we don't really hear a lot of prophecies happening a lot around us. But we do have the word of God. And hopefully by now, as we've gone through this Bible... For many, many, many classes that I taught, you've probably begun to realize we have really misunderstood and misquoted a lot of things in Sunday school classes or churches over the years. And we have just kind of read very quickly over things and just kind of said things. And a lot of things have been communicated to me as a kid that were not accurate, and a lot of things have been communicated to other people. And then the, my biggest pet peeve is Bible cartoons because visuals are powerful. And once they're in my daughter's heads, it doesn't matter how many times I read these Bibles to them, it takes a lot to override a visual, a very dramatic visual. And even with my own students, I, I mean, it's amazing how many times I'll teach them something and make it very clear and emphasize it because I've been doing this long enough that I know that I need to emphasize this point over and over again. And I'll still get people answering questions on the test with the VeggieTales version of what happened and not what really happened in the Bible or what I taught them. And so this is a warning to us that we have to be very, very careful with how we handle the Word of God. And I stand up here with great fear of how I handle this before you guys because I know accountability that I'm under as a teacher. But it also means that you are to go and look at things. And I, you guys know by now I'm not the most perfect reader either, especially when i got like 50 million things going through my head in the night. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for everybody to be tracking, everybody to know what's saying, and to spend time in it. And when there's ever any doubt, just say, I don't know. This is a difficult passage, or I think I need more time, but here's what I understand so far. And we've got to be very, very careful how we handle the Word of God Because it does ripple into multiple generations of how we live our lives and how we make decisions. We've got to be careful. Now remember too, there is the grace of God if your intentions are well. But remember God's grace and He rewards work and diligence and careful thought. Not just, I don't have enough time to really put time into this thing. So verse 30. Jehu has now wiped out the king of Israel, which means now he's officially the king of Israel. And he's wiped out the king of Judah, which that continuation will come later after Jehu. So we'll come to Judah and what happens there after Jehu's all dealt with. The narrator's not gonna go there yet. So now he's the official king of Israel. And so now he's on his way to Jezebel. Now Jehu approached Jezreel And when Jezebel heard the news, she painted her face and fixed her hair and leaned out the window. It's interesting what we say putting on makeup. The Bible says you painted your face, which is exactly what she's doing. I mean, that's what you're doing, too. So this is what she does. We haven't heard about Jezebel in a long time. It's like she was a powerhouse of a woman in Israel, and nothing happened without her directing things. And yet, after Elijah, she's just kind of disappeared. And so the big question mark is, what's Jezebel been doing? We need, like, an MTV behind the scenes. Where are they now on her? And so, but we don't know. The Bible never answers that question. Not that I'm promoting MTV. But the Bible never answers that question. So she is somewhere in the tower. Like, I don't know. Once again, I have this, like, Rapunzel image in my head. Um... And she sees him coming. Now, this is the army. One woman does not stand a chance against an army. One man doesn't stand a chance against an army. And not only that, she's up there in the years now. And so she has just heard the news. shes I guarantee you she still has little birdies in the land. The news has come to her that the king of Israel has been killed and the king of the south has been killed and the army's barreling down on her, what does she have to stand against Jehu? She has one last weapon, seduction. And so she pretties herself up, and she leans out the window for him to see, and basically she's going to seek to make an alliance with him. Now her first response is, when Jehu came through the gate, she said, Is everything all right, Zimri, you murder of your master? Now remember, Zimri was a guy who betrayed his king, Elah, the son of Baasha, and in assassinating him, he was a general who killed his own king. Jehu is a general who killed his own king, and so she kind of insults him, but she may—but she's also trying to seduce him. So she may be seeking an alliance. This may not be seen as a quite an insult. It may be saying, I know what you're doing. Look how pretty I am and how much power I have. Let's make an alliance. And so she's seeking an alliance. But Jehu is an oak, unmovable. (laughs) He looked up at the window, verse 32, and said, Who is on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked down at him. The eunuchs are also not going to be tempted by her seduction in any kind of a way. So they're impervious to that. So these eunuchs have been serving her and taking care of her, and so they must not like her. (laughs) There's not much to like about Jezebel. So they've been under her power and control and serving her. She probably treats them like crap from what we know about her. And Jehu shows up, and he's the knight in shining armor, so to speak. And so he's like, are you with me? the big giant army who just killed two kings? Or are you with her all by herself in the tower? And it doesn't say what the response is, but they must have given him a look look that says, yeah, we're with you. So he looked up and he said, throw her down. And when they threw her down, her blood splattered against the wall because she hit the ground so hard and the horses trampled her and drove her into the ground. That is a very violent ending. And then Jehu says, "Go, let's go get lunch. <laughs> Remember, he's a military general. It's like people, you, you guys know like morticians and the, the coroner's office, and they're down there like working with dead bodies, and they're eating a sandwich at the same time. Or like people are at crime scenes, and they're eating sandwiches. They're just, they see this stuff all the time that doesn't like bother them anymore. That's kind of the idea that you have with Jehu. He's a general. He's been killing lots of people his entire life, and it's like, let's go eat. That's his response. This shows the absolute coldness of everything. Everybody is so cold towards everything that is happening, which shows a total lack of remorse. If God commanded you to kill somebody, you would probably hopefully do it because you're being obedient to God after many testings and signs. and that kind of, I mean, not testing of God, but testing to see if it really is God. But chances are it would bother you. Okay, this stuff should bother you. Even if God commands you, it should bother you. But what we have with Jehu is this doesn't bother him. There seems to be no remorse. It's just totally cold. And this shows it's not really truly in obedience to God in his heart. So he went inside and he ate a meal. And he said, let's dispose of this cursed woman's corpse. Let's bury her. For after all, she was a king's daughter. So, somewhere eating the meal, he's like, you know what? We should probably bury her. Okay, can't just leave her there. Once again, that's just coal. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing left but her skull, feet, and her hands because the dogs had taken everything. Now, these are real dogs, like the wild dogs that rummage. Now, here's what's interesting there's a huge illusion that is being done here remember this whole thing for the last since chapter 18 of first kings this is all about about god's battle with baal god's battle with baal and all that paganism and idolatry and everything so baal had a sister who was also his wife and her name was Anat, Anat, anath anath a-n-a-t-h anath and she was the goddess of love and war. And in the, the pagan Ugaritic Ugr- texts, she's portrayed as a woman that goes out and cuts off the heads and the hands of her victims and laughs and cackles as she's doing it. By Jezebel being the priestess of Baal, she would be seen as the embodiment of a knot. She is the, co- the, um, the, co- um, the bride of Baal, so to speak. And so she'd be seen as the physical embodiment of a knot on earth as Baal's wife. And so she'd be portrayed as that woman who cuts off the heads and the hands of people. And we saw, though they, she did not literally do that in the text, that doesn't mean she didn't do it in her life, she was willing to kill Naboth for no reason but just wanting a vegetable garden. And she was willing to kill all the prophets just because they prophesied against her. So she has shown herself to be as bloodthirsty as knot is, the one she represents. And God, in his irony, leaves her in the same way that knot leaves her victims. And what God has shown is that not only has Baal been dealt with, with the fire coming down of heaven, but now knot, his consort, is being dealt with because now knot's head and hands have been cut off and removed. And this is what God does to the pagans the gods. And so once again, we have these battle, the the plagues of Egypt against the gods. We have these battles against the gods here in the Egyptian. And so this is intentional because you're like, other than that, why in the world is that there? Why does that matter that hands and feet have been left behind of all the details? Because it's an intentional polemic against a knot. So verse 36 when they went back and told him, he said, Yahweh's word through his servant Elijah the Tishbite has come to pass. He warned, in the plot of the land of Jezebel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh, and Jezebel's corpse will be like manure on the surface of the ground and the plot of land at Jezreel. People will not be able to even recognize her. Once again, God didn't say that either. You notice how many times Jehu is quoting the prophecy? And he's not done every single time he kills somebody he quotes the prophecy Then he kills somebody quotes the prophecy kills somebody quotes the prophecy we've never seen the prophecy of god repeated that many times and god is all about repetition of his word okay the command compliance many 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 times the narrator keeps repeating the prophecy and this is the fulfillment of the word of what the prophet said and then repeats the whole thing over again we're used to that but even that doesn't even stand up to the number of times that jehu's going to quote the prophecy and you're going to kind of get to the sense that he's trying to justify his actions. Because nowhere except for defeating the Canaanites has God ever prophesied a human to kill another human. The only time that God ever said, I want you to intentionally go out and kill a bunch of humans is when he told the Israelites to kill the Canaanites. But that was for huge, horribly gross sins. And it was an entire nation led by God going against the entire nation. But since that before that and since then, God has never specifically prophesied specific people killing specific other people. And nor did he even in this prophecy against Ahab. And so Jay, who is just quoting this over and over again, and I don't it's almost like he knows this is incredibly violent. He knows this is going to be viewed as treason by most people in the land. He knows that this is not what you do to kings. He knows the kings are God's anointed. Remember, David was scared to death to kill God's anointed. God had specifically condemned Saul and said that Saul would no longer be my king. God specifically told David, you are the new anointed king. David saw that God sent an evil spirit on Saul to torment him. David, if all people had the right to rationale, that if Saul is no longer God's anointed, he has a demonic demon attacking him, so to speak, and I've been anointed as king, and as king over Israel, I have the right to execute justice, and Saul just wiped out 85 priests of the, the priesthood, then if anything, I have the right to kill him. And yet David even said, I don't have the right to kill God's anointed one, unless God gives me a specific command. Yet Jehu who's loosely connecting puzzle pieces in a way that don't fit together, has no problem doing this. And he keeps quoting the prophecy all over again to convince everybody that what he's doing is right. And he might even be trying to convince himself, for all we know.